ulterior. So this is actually a pretty big episode of this show because for the first time ever, I am able to review an album early ahead of its release date. And that comes technically with permission from the vocalist. We'll elaborate on that later on. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And I want to go ahead and say now that uh, next week's episode might be um, like less packed than normal. I don't really anticipate a lot happening over the next few days for the scene. So that does allow me a little bit of time to breathe before October 14th and just the, the fucking whirlwind that that day is going to be and then the process of getting all that shit reviewed and then onto the podcast that week. So um, my plan as of right now or something that I'm at least thinking about is, okay, so you guys know Scenic Overlook, the thing I do weekly where I rank my 10 favorite songs for the week. Um, I am considering having that week be expanded to 20 songs because considering it's like Lorna, Sirens, uh, fucking whoever else, it's going to be really, really, really hard to just narrow down to 10 songs and feel like I am getting across to you guys everything that I believe was in that MVP slot for the week. So that's everything that's going to be happening soon. For this episode today, we've got brand new singles by Paramore, Acres, Polyphia, Mayfield, and a few others to get through. And then brand new records by Slipknot, Aviana, Lolo, and Counterparts. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this chapter. So I'd kind of already been doing this, but I think starting permanently on this episode, uh, that period between the intro song and the introduction of the first single, I want to just kind of briefly talk about whatever is happening in the world outside of the scene. So just like pop culture topics, music, or not music, um, movies, TV shows, whatever that might be. Uh, so just, I just kind of wrote down a little bit of stuff. The Dream face reveal. So Dream, who is a big YouTuber in the Minecraft realm, he revealed his face and immediately afterwards, uh, trending topics included, he's ugly and put the mask back on. And I'm just saying, if I had like this massive online persona, a faceless one at that, and I decided to do a face reveal and that was the shit that you guys threw at me, you would never ever fucking hear from me again. That would be like the fucking end of the world for me. My villain origin story beginning, that would be curtains, dog. Um, the trailer for the Mario movie is premiering at New York Comic Con on October 6th, which I believe this episode will already be out by then, so let me know what you guys think of the Mario movie trailer. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but whatever. Uh, it's anime season, so this past weekend, the uh, season premieres of My Hero Academia and Spy Family, and then in a few days, on October 11th, we got Chainsaw Man's premiere. I am so fucking excited for Chainsaw Man, I've already explained that before, but My Hero is one of my favorite anime series of all time, and then Spy Family has been, like, really comforting for me for the last few months, so that was great to get. Uh, Tua, the, uh, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, he was done dirty to fucking shreds by the organization because he got a concussion at a game uh, on a Sunday and then four days later was put back onto the field and got another concussion and that's like genuinely life-altering shit like this guy might never ever be the same again and it's just something that was like so 
like how does it even happen how does an organization uh, display that level of incompetency to the point where they put their quarterback his life at risk for what a 3-0 start that's fucking crazy um overwatch 2 is out right now so overwatch 1 has been disabled you cannot play it at all anymore overwatch 2 is where the move is at that's where you're going to be directed to and i'm just saying right now overwatch was my life for like six years guys i'm not even joking about that i played that game almost every day since may 23rd 2016 and i'm pretty excited to get on overwatch 2 i'm not going to be doing so until later in the week so uh, if you download the game hit my line we'll get some games in i'm trying to start maining bastion because i am a hater and i don't want anyone to ever experience joy ever again and that's kind of all i really had to get through I, I could also talk about professional wrestling but i don't think too many of you guys really care about that um the big thing over there right now is the white rabbit who i'm assuming is bray wyatt but we'll see what happens Normally what I would do right now is go into the highest rated single for the week, but I'm going to switch it up so that this can be the first thing that I talk about on this episode, and that is the brand new Paramore single called This Is Why. This is a huge fucking deal. This is the first Paramore track in, I, I think, five years. After Laughter was May 2017. So yeah, five years, almost five and a half, honestly. And there's so much to unpack with this single because it came alongside the announcement of the album, This Is Why, dropping February 10th. Uh, Paramore, they're touring again. They brought Misery Business out of retirement. It, it's been a, a fucking whirlwind of a week for Paramore and... I feel like once you get into the way that this is why sound, what you can tell is the continuation of a trend from other comeback bands this year because My Chemical Romance, uh, they came back with Foundation of Decay and then Pierce the Veil had Pass on Nirvana and both of those tracks sounded nothing like what people probably expected them to. Um, with This Is Why, you get the same thing. This is a very, or I don't want to call it a very different Paramore song because I feel like it's kind of a a little bit in alignment with what was happening with After Laughter, but it still ventures off and does its own thing in like this weird indie popish kind of a realm. And it's not a bad song by any means. I actually think it's really, really good, but it's a song that had it not been by Paramore, I don't know if this would have found its way into my stratosphere. I don't know if I would have given it the time of day. So I'm very, very like um willing to give paramore a chance with this kind of a sound especially when i think that this is why is pretty fucking good um what is going to happen with the album on november uh february 10th i don't know I, I genuinely don't fucking know and that's kind of exciting but getting into the actual highest rated single for the week it is hold on by acres This is the second single by the band in the last couple of months. The prior one, Burning Throne, I thought was very good. And then Hold On takes what I love about Acres and kind of amplifies it and modernizes it in a way. 
They had a record back in 2019 called Lonely World that I thought did a very good job at kind of like paying homage to post-hardcore or the post-hardcore that I grew up on and I hold so close to my heart. And Hold On does something similar while, again, modernizing the sound in a way. It feels so in alignment with like where the emotional side of metalcore goes. I think, um, God, who was it? Uh, fucking, uh, Landless. They had a record last year and that, uh, emotion they can find in the tracks and how it kind of, it it sounds like so massive and radio ready without really being such. I feel like that is what's happening with Hold On. It has uh, great vocal melodies, great instrumentation. It's catchy while not really being so singable in a way. It feels heavy without being so in your face about the matter. It's just a really, really well executed song. And I think that considering where Acre's trajectory looks like it's heading, 2023 could be a huge fucking year for this act. You know, whenever the boys in Polyphia do something, it feels like a fucking event, and that happened last week with the single Ego Death featuring Steve Vai. I'm pretty sure this will end up being the final single to come out ahead of the album, Remember That You'll Die, on October 28th. So, uh, if that is the case, this was a stellar way to close up the rollout for the record. Um, I, I said, Polyphia songs feel like events, and I mean that in the sense that, like, there's nothing in any given week that I can cover on a podcast episode that sounds like Polyphia. There's nothing that really compares to them, and that's kind of been the story of my attachment to them ever since I first found them. Um, they just have this connection and it's crazy because they're instrumental. So like they kind of have to work twice as hard to really get across these ideas and concepts and emotions. But anytime you hear whatever, uh, Tim or Clay are doing, you just feel it, or at least I do like these guitar melodies and, and the notes and the solos, everything just strikes chords within me. And it's so hard to explain why that is. Um, the inclusion of Steve Vai is just fucking tremendous. And, you know, Steve Vai might be kind of like outside of the realm of what an average scene fan would be aware of. But, um, like in the music video for this track, um, the way that he's revealed later on in the song, you see him sitting on a throne on a rooftop and it is like just some of the most goaded, uh, visualized shit imaginable right now for music. Um, it really paints this guy across as being a legend, and that's exactly what he is. The the best comparison I can make, and it's not even really a good one, but it's the only one I have right now. Um, in the video for Oldie by Odd Future, where you get that build up to Earl Sweatshirt's verse towards the end of the song, that's kind of the effect that I am being given when Steve Vai is introduced, and the way that he just coincides with everything that Polyphia is doing, it is masterful. I think this is one of the best feature spots of the year for any band. Polyphia are on top of this shit right now and the album coming out October 28th remember that you will die I have the highest of high hopes for it, and I have no reason to doubt Polyphia being able to exceed those expectations brand new single by Mayfield called Kerosene
So I mentioned Acres earlier and how their singles from this year kind of feel like hidden gems in a way. I'm going to apply that same sentiment to Mayfield and maybe even more so because they have four singles out this year, uh, Kerosene included, and all of them, especially right where you want me, just deliver on every possible end, dude. Um, Kerosene, this might not be the best explanation for the track, but it's the explanation that's kind of been sitting in my mind ever since I first heard this. It's kind of like a pop-punk sort of a take on the sound you get by bands like Deftones or Loathe or Mood Ring. Just that kind of, like, dreary, emotional take on, um, like, grungy stuff. Kerosene is doing that, and it's doing it in such an epic fucking way. I admire so much about how this song is structured and the way that the verses kind of... um they they feel like purposely uh scaled back and then you get into the chorus and it's not like an explosive chorus in any way really but it just feels like the biggest compliment possible to the verses in a way um it, it it's a really well-paced great song I, I feel like so many people are going to miss out on this and all the other mayfield songs from the year so far um if you'd heard of mayfield before they had a record in 2019 called careless love that is like um post-hardcore to the fullest extent, but they're going in a different direction now, and I think this direction is really, really working out for them. Here's one that really caught me off guard last week. Numb by Lil Spirit featuring Black Bear. I had not heard of Lil Spirit before last week, and I feel thankful for this track's existence because now it's able to let me see the immense talent that he possesses at such a young age. And it's really admirable how well this song sounds and how well it ventures through that like emotional R&B type of a realm. Um, Lil Spirit is amazing in this track. As is Black Bear and his feature spot, it kind of just elevates the song and gives it a little bit more, um, like notoriety, I guess. Um, one of the reasons why this song stuck out to me is because Black Bear had a record out back in August and admittedly for somebody who, uh, classifies himself as a Black Bear merchant, I haven't gone back to it a ton. Some of the songs, yes, but as an entire, uh, package, it, it's kind of been a little bit lost on me. But Numb, had this somehow been on that record, easily an upper echelon track. I think Lil Spirit delivered in the biggest way possible with this song, and it was the best way for me to get to know him. The final single that I'm going to go in detail on comes from Lorna Shore, and it is Pain Remains 2, After All I've Done, I'll Disappear. Truthfully, I feel like there is a much bigger conversation about Lorna Shore that is to be had in two weeks when I review Pain Remains, and some of the discourse is good, some of it is bad, but right now, I just want to focus on the good. So, Pain Remains 2, this is the second part of the three-part closing track uh, for Pain Remains, it's the title track, and I'll say right now, I respect the decision to break it up into three parts because... It easily could have been one continuous song because part two starts off literally right where part one ends. 
and uh, like a 10 minute closer or whatever it would amount to 19 I think it is fuck I don't even know man um, I really 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 would have been negative about that on here um, because I just think long songs can sometimes oversay their welcome and especially when a song is meant to be as fucking long as pain remains um, that being said Every time Lorna Shore does something, I'm reminded why they are the throne holders of Deathcore right now and why they have the acclaim that they do, why they are so fucking good. And it's because they have the talent, they have the range and the capabilities to pull off sounds in Deathcore that nobody else can right now. I've reviewed a, a ton of Deathcore this year and none of it whatsoever compares to Lorna Shore. And I feel like I'm kind of maybe being a little bit harsh on them because of expectations set by just one song and again we're gonna get into all that in two weeks but i w- what i will say right now i admire painter mains 2 just as much as i did painter mains 1 i think the singles roll for painter mains so far has been almost flawless and lorna shore are continuing time and time again to prove why they are where they're at and i respect the fuck out of them for that these were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Moving On by A Marionette. Submerged by Ambleside. Chemistry Set by Andres. Heaven's Baddest Back Out by As Sirens Fall. The Other Side by Awake at Last. Corn Fed Yetis by Bill Murray featuring Knox. Burying Brightness by Boundaries. Cold Sweats by Codis. The Servant by Defamed. World So Cold by Fire from the Gods. Eulogy by First and Forever. Three Wheels and It Still Drives by Glaive, American Wasteland by Hollow City, Wither by If I Were You, Thrills by Lado, Cascade by Lost Trees featuring Michael Barr from Volumes, shout out Lost Trees for the intro and outro song, Idaways by Our Hollow Our Home, Static Patterns by Paleskin, Death of Me by Royal and Serpent, Stop Thinking by Seven Lions featuring Lights, Wolf by Sharptooth, Knew It All Along by Skylar Record, Forever Blue by Starletta, Pretty Girl by Story Untold, Pendulum by Straight Shot Home. Ghost by the Daz- De- Ghost by the Disaster Area. Fucking Christ, dude, I can't talk anymore. I'm Thinking of Ending Things by Us in Motion and Quenched by Vukovi. There was one song that I gave a 3 to, and that was Dead to Me by Kay Williams. Um, the mixing on it is not very good. I-, I think the vocals really, really overtake the rest of the track in a bad way. And it- it's a decent song from what I could hear and... Uh, decipher but that vocal mixing just is not it and on the subject of things that are not it that brings me to the record reviews and the first one up is actually the lowest rated record in the history of ulterior the end so far by slipknot So I want to emphasize real quickly that the point of this review is not for me to smoke on that Slipknot pack. I historically like Slipknot. Um, they are a band that was, I, I don't want to say pivotal for me, like growing up or like at an early age, but I remember the way that I found out about them was at school. This might've been like first grade, second grade. I don't remember exactly. Um, somebody had, uh, or a classmate had like a sticker of them on a binder or a folder and I could just see Slipknot and then like the masks. And it was kind of enticing in a lot of ways because I was a kid and still to this day, an adult who 
really gravitates towards imagery and just things that look kind of abnormal for the world that they exist in. Like, for example, my favorite movie ever is The Crow, and the reason why I was even drawn to it initially was because of the imagery and the look of Eric Draven. So, when I saw Slipknot, it was like, okay, what is this? Like, just kind of like uh, turning the wheels in my head, per se. And so, I just kind of went about that, and I discovered uh, the debut album, the self-titled, as well as Iowa, and... For the time, that was probably like the heaviest stuff that I was into, and it was kind of like, what is it, Historia? You know, like Slipknot. Oh, she has a a little toy mouse in her mouth right now. Um, I know, I know, I'm talking about Slipknot. Um, so they were kind of important for me back then, and then even growing up into my teenage years, like I really enjoy Volume Three. All Hope Is Gone. I think it's actually a really good album. Um, you just, there are so many songs by Slipknot that I can point out as being big for me at different points in time. And they're kind of the standard ones, you know, Wait and Bleed, Psychosocial, Dead Memories, uh, Before I Forget, Duality, uh, The Heretic Anthem. Like, they have songs that are going to be in my rotation for the rest of my life. Um, I don't know what the drop-off point for them was, and I don't want to say it was Paul Gray's passing because that sounds so unfair, but... Um, going from All Hope is Gone into The Great Chapter, there was a decline. Granted, there's like a six-year gap between those records, and obviously, you know, things changing in the camp of Slipknot, but there's not a lot from that record outside of Kill Pop that I could say I was really, really into. And then you get into We Are Not Your Kind back in 2019, and there were so many things about that record that just didn't make sense to me. The most obvious one being the fact that All Out Life, which has the lyrics, We Are Not Your Kind, was not even on the album We Are Not Your Kind. And it's just like, what is actually going on with this record? And I I can barely tell you guys what happened on it. It was so unremarkable and forgettable. And I kind of thought in my head like, okay, I thought that record was Cheeks. So hopefully there's no way that the end so far could be worse. Guys, this is a two-pack of ass. This is everything that I did not want this record to be. Because I went into it kind of having, like, the knowledge that I probably wasn't going to like it, but I wanted there to be something I could at least take from it and be like, well, at least there was this thing or this thing or this thing. There's nothing. This, this album is vacant of any substance, of any memorable moments. The only, like saving grace, a slight saving grace comes from the instrumentation. I feel like the songs that I was not so harsh on, like uh, Chapel Town Rag and Yen and Medicine for the Dead, the the moments from those records, or those songs rather, that pulled everything together was the instrumentation. Vocally, Corey Taylor sucks on this record. He is washed. There's not a memorable hook, a way that he enunciated something. There's nothing to his performance here that stands out to me as being just even remotely redeemable. And like, that's kind of been a recurring theme for him for the last few years. The CMFT shit, like that was not it. I cannot tell you the last thing he did with Stone Sour that I thought was listenable. It, it, it's just so, um, just really, really, um, I'm losing my train of thought now because there's just like a bunch of mid in my head right now. It's disappointing above all else. It, it really, really is. Um, I think on a song like Heirloom, there's like a, a little bit of cool 
weird groove shit happening that is like, okay, there's a concept here, and I kind of like it in a way, but that concept is just watered down by his performance and how much he overtakes every song in the worst manner possible. Um, it is bookended by two of the worst tracks of the year so far I've heard, Adderall and Finale. They are just tiring and boring, and there's nothing about them that stands out to me in any sort of a positive manner. Or even a decent one at that. Like, there's nothing decent about this record. It's just fucking abysmal, to say the least. And I I can't really point out too much else because I listened to the record one time. I try to give every record two listens to at least get a gauge of, like, what I want to say. But I just could not go back to the end so far. It was just... It's awful. Genuinely, it is a really, really, really bad album. And... Again, I wish that was not what I was coming out here to say because I do like Slipknot. They are important to me. I do actually own merch of theirs. Like, this is a band that, you know, if I ever have kids one day and I teach them about, you know, alternative music and what I grew up listening to, I'm going to reference Slipknot because they were big for me at one point, but now they are just bottom of the barrel to say the least. Like, I don't like this at all. So again, I really didn't want to do that, and that was kind of draining, but whatever, it be what it be, I had to be honest about the album. Now I'm going to move into some shit that doesn't irritate me and was actually pretty enjoyable to get through last week, starting with the brand new Aviana album called Corporation. This was truthfully a bit of a special record for myself because of circumstances related to Ulterior. So I started podcasting back in February of 2021, but I gave weekly podcasting a shot at the start of April that year. So um, there were a lot of things about that stretch from April through the middle of May that I do not look back on fondly at all. So I don't know how many of you guys know this, but... Uh, the way that I review shit right now where I talk about like a handful of singles and then just be like, yeah, here were the other ones for like five or six episodes back then I reviewed every single and sometimes it was like 30 or 40 and it was like really, really um, like weighing on me and I didn't realize how unhealthy that really was. One of the bright spots I remember from that time though was the fact that Oblivion by Aviana was the first single I ever reviewed on a podcast. So for that reason, Aviana kind of had a special place in my heart, and that's why I always paid attention to them. Whenever they dropped a single, I covered it in some fashion. I made sure Aviana had a spot in ulterior lore, because considering how many singles they were dropping, it was pretty apparent like, okay, this is all going to lead to a record, a record that one day I will be able to talk about at length and give this band their flowers. And to a great extent, that is what I'm able to do right now because the singles rollout, while maybe overkill, it really did a good job at establishing Aviana and their sound. So, um, oh, I said Overcome was the first single that, or Oblivion rather, was the first single that I reviewed. Um, Oblivion still hits in every fucking sense of the word, uh, relating to that time period in April that I first heard it. I especially love the breakdown at the end. I feel like that is just like so, um, 
inherent to what I love about metalcore and modern metalcore especially. Um, Curriculum, I think, is a great intro song, and it truthfully has, like, some crabcore vibes to me that's, like, the the mixture of metalcore with electronic stuff, like, that's just kind of the the flair that I could hear being present there. And, you know, like I said about Oblivion, all the singles here, they still deliver for the most part. I think Rage and Obsession, they still hold the same weight to their presentation now that they did back then. Um, one area that I will say is, um, well, actually there's a few areas I can say are like a little bit lacking and kind of lend themselves to why I don't believe this is a perfect album. Track six is called Retaliation, and I feel like that song, it has a runtime of 2.30, and it feels like it's kind of rushed, and it doesn't really have the space to flourish the same way that a song like Oblivion does. Um, there are some songs that come later on in the track listing, like Illuminate and Overcome. I just kind of feel like by that point, I've heard what Aviana has to offer, and those two songs don't do a lot to differentiate themselves from the singles or the prior material, and it, it is a hindrance. It, it does kind of take away from the enjoyment a little bit, but not totally, just enough for me to uh, have points that I can reference and be like, hey, maybe this album isn't as refined as I wanted it to be. Um, the closing song, Negligence, I think it's a cool way to end the album, but just selfishly something a little bit more impactful that aligns itself with the metalcore nature of the material would have been better suited in my opinion. I think for the most part, what Aviana provided here was a good showcase of their identity right now and who they are and the sounds that they want to get across. And there are areas where that sound is fulfilled to perfection, but then there are other areas where... I can sense what they're trying, but just maybe it's not um, reaching the same heights, per se, as other songs. I keep going back to Oblivion, but Oblivion, to me, feels like the like magnum opus of this record. It, it is truly the standard for of Aviana, and I want that to be kind of um, the key points that they focus on moving forward. I want more songs like Oblivion and um, Transcendent and Rage, like... The Paradox, which features Marcus Vick from Invent Animate, they have potential. They have something here and just a little bit of fine tuning. I think these guys can be massive for Metalcore moving forward. There was a brand new Lolo EP called Debbie Downer. I've guessed up Lolo quite a bit on this show before, and I'm going to do it again because there is finally a proper spotlight on her this year. So I went on and on and on about Lolo last year in preparation for her EP Overkill that came out in November, I believe it was. And ultimately, Overkill did not make the top 50 records of 2021 list. But what I will tell all of you is that it was one of the last ones to be eliminated from contention. I really, really, really loved Overkill. And I believed, like more than anything else, what it did was kind of show how bright of a future Lolo has. And moving into her material for Debbie Downer, uh, the first single release for it was the title track, and it features Maggie Lindemann. To this day, I believe that Debbie Downer is one of the catchiest songs of 2022. There's never a dull moment that I find myself lingering on whenever Debbie Downer comes up on Shuffle. 
it is just so fun and energetic and it has that um like teenage angst to it that is somehow still able to like spark my interest in a way and it just has everything that i need for a modern day pop punk song to just really really hit in all of the right areas and maggie's her feature she just you know projects her own star power onto the track in a big way and lolo is proving time and time again how much of a star she is in her own right um junkie is another like prime pop punk song for the current day i feel like with junkie by that point i was already thinking like okay lolo is maybe not going to surpass overkill because overkill is really good but she is putting her best foot forward and showing like what she's really really capable of um, then there's a single, The Floor is Lava, which is a slower song for Debbie Downer, but it finds all of the ways that it can to pack Lolo's punch into its fun and adorable lyricism. Um, just like a, another really quirky song in a way. And I feel like quirky is a good way to phrase the thoughts I have about some of these other tracks, like You Turn Me On But You Give Me Depression. That has great pop bass instrumentation layered behind, again, just a really quirky and fun song. And maybe it's not meant to be fun because these are actually like pretty uh like downer lyrics to speak to the name of the EP, Debbie Downer. But to me, like it's really admirable and catchy in a lot of ways. Um, there were two songs here, technically were not released as singles properly, so there is uh, Boo Hoo, which I admire its ability to be different and stand out from the rest of Debbie Downer, although I do think it's the weakest song on the EP, but it's still very good. There's just something about its pacing that I feel like, you know, put that against the Tower Trek or the Floor is Lava or You, you Turn Me On, and there's not really a comparison. I'm going to choose those songs over Boo Hoo, but Boo Hoo is still just a, a class song and then there is asking for a friend and this was released on youtube for world prevention suicide day and the proceeds for that video were donated to to write a uh, love on her arms which is for those of you who don't know a nonprofit organization helping people who struggle with things such as addiction depression um self-harm and suicidal thoughts um this is a really genuine and heartfelt track that you can just sense the um like the the pain and the heartfelt nature coming from Lolo when you hear this track and in her lyrics and the way that she's singing this song i don't want to say she sounds defeated but she just sounds like noticeably worn down in comparison to like Debbie Downer or um Junkie and it's for good reason because asking for a friend is a song that is just meant to give Lolo that space to be vulnerable and the space for anybody hearing this song to be vulnerable if that is what they need at that point in time. Um, I, I will always encourage you guys to just, you know, be open with your mental health, talk about what you need to talk to somebody who you trust. And I feel like asking for a friend that was Lolo's way of talking and maybe it can inspire somebody to open up or maybe it already has. And that's kind of, you know, really really rad and it's like a, a positive side to music that is easy to forget like how much this shit can really help somebody and i am hoping that asking for a friend has been able to do that or that it can do that for somebody um debbie downer the ep 
I don't think it's perfect. I would probably say it's not as stellar as Overkill, but the title track itself, Debbie Downer, to me, that is the quintessential Lolo song. Like, whenever I think of Lolo right now, Debbie Downer, the song, is what comes to mind immediately. And, you know, of course, followed by Junkie, The Floor is Lava, You Turn Me On. Like, these songs, they feel massive, and they feel like they could propel Lolo in the right circumstances. And I just kind of, you know, lump her into that section of up-and-coming artists like Maggie Lineman or Magnolia Park, who feel like they're just, you know, one more right push away from truly being like within the eyes and the ears of everybody in the scene who needs to hear what Lolo is offering right now. And now we got one more album and I was not expecting to talk about this until next week, but because of some circumstances, I've been able to hear it for the last couple days. And now you guys get my early review of a eulogy for those still here by counterparts. So here is essentially the reason why this record is being reviewed early on Ulterior. So, the official release date for a eulogy for those still here is October 7th, so the week that the episode is being released. It leaked online last week, and I don't ever talk about leaks on this podcast or on my platform altogether because I just don't want to push leaks out there. I don't want leaks to be something that I, or that it looks like I'm endorsing. This is different though, because the vocalist of Counterparts, Brandon Murphy, I'm not going to say he leaked the record, but it's definitely possible considering that he did leak some prior Counterparts albums. Um, he was very vocal on Twitter about just telling people like, hey, fuckheads, go listen to the album. Like, I don't give a shit if you listen to the leak. Just listen to it. Tell me what you think of it. Okay, sure. You want me to go listen to your album early? I will gladly go listen to your album early because I have been anticipating a eulogy for those still here for months and months now, ever since Unwavering Vow dropped as a first single. Um, I guess to kind of explain a little bit of like my background for Counterparts, now that I've opened the leak gate, if you will, um, there was a website called Kingdom Leaks. A lot of you hearing this probably know what that was. Um, Counterparts was a band that I discovered through Kingdom Leaks. It was back in 2015 off of the album Tragedy Will Find Us and... I didn't really have a reason to be enticed with the presentation of that album before hearing it because like the artwork is very simple. There's nothing really eye-catching about it. The thing for me was it said uh, melodic hardcore as a genre. And I'm like, oh, I like melodic hardcore. I've never heard of Counterparts. Let me listen to this. And it is incredible. All of what Counterparts does, in my opinion, is incredible. I think Counterparts have really been like standard bearers of hardcore or melodic hardcore, whatever you want to call what they do for a long time now, and maybe just don't really get the credit that they deserve because whatever the reasons might be, I don't fucking know. And then that proceeds into the following albums, You're Not You Anymore and Nothing Left to Love. I have very fond memories of both of those records. You're Not You Anymore. I remember uh, playing uh, NBA 2K18 and listening to that album at the same time very frequently, and 
uh, songs like uh, No Servant of Mine and Swim Beneath My Skin, like they hold a special place in my heart because of that. And then Nothing Left to Love dropped, I believe, November of 2019. And I have memories of riding home from college on the bus and just hearing that album all the way through several times and really like growing attached to that record for a lot of reasons that I don't really want to get into because they're way too personal. But um, like Paradise and Plague, that is such a pivotal song for me over the last few years. And songs like that, you know, that lends itself to why counterparts have been special to me. There's also a bit of a like a more sentimental slash weird reason. Um, I'll just go ahead and say it now. The drummer for Counterparts, Kyle Brownlee, he is the reason why I found Bring Me the Horizon when I did. And as you guys know, Bring Me is my favorite band of all time. So I I used to really be into rhythm games back then, like Guitar Hero and Rock Band. And Kyle was a well-known drummer for Rock Band, and he would upload YouTube videos of him playing the game. And there was one video where he used Chelsea Smile as his intro song. This is like at the end of 2008 or uh, early 2009, I believe. And I heard it and I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, it just immediately latched onto my brain. I looked up Chelsea Smile, you know, got through Suicide Season and Counting Blessings. And I have that time period to bring me like it's all because of Kyle. So Kyle being in counterparts, it adds like a layer of attachment and sentimental value for me. And so I guess now to just go ahead and get into a eulogy for those still here. I don't know how to review this. And it's not anything to do with the record. It's just because I think this is such a special and a milestone of an album for 2022 that I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who hasn't heard it yet. I want you guys to, uh, you know, really intake this material properly for the first time when you guys eventually do hear it. Like, you know, I, I sometimes in my reviews, I'll mention lyrics from songs. I don't even want to do that because a lot of these lyrical moments on a eulogy for those still here, they are cutting, like soul cutting. These are some of the most uh, apropos and beautiful and just stomach churning lyrics I've heard all year. And I want you guys to be able to go into this record for the first time, not having already been exposed to all that. So I'm, I'm trying to find like what areas I feel like I can talk about for an early review. And I guess the best way to do that will be to start with the singles. So Unwavering Vow dropped at the beginning of June. And I remember that was a a weird week for me because I had COVID and that was my last week living with my mom before um, moving into the apartment I live in right now with my dad. And so I, I had like all these emotions in my head and having a new counterpart song that was able to kind of take some of those emotions and really just like um, store them away in a way while not being so um, like distant from me. Like I was able to process emotions by being delivered these new ones through Unwavering Vow. And through Unwavering Vow, it was very apparent how like dark of a record this was going to be. Um, Whispers of Your Death.
um, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like just saying the name of that song sent like this shiver down my spine. Um, okay. So anybody who follows Brendan Murphy on Twitter, you guys know about Kuma. So Kuma was his cat. And you go through his Twitter and you see somebody who had just attached every ounce of his life to Kuma. And it's something that I don't expect a lot of people to really be able to relate to or understand without being a pet owner themselves. And for myself, I have four cats right now. I previously had a cat named Mikasa who passed away and her death is kind of a big reason why this podcast even exists and why it went weekly and why I use this outlet to talk about things that I want to. Um, so this album was made when Kuma was alive, but in the journey of him being alive, he went through a lot medically and the emotional toll that had on Brendan, it is so evident in a lot of this record, but whispers of your death, it feels like, um, so in your face and not in a bad way the music video for whispers of your death it is just brandon putting a speaker next to kuma and playing this song and you get kuma's legitimate reaction where he just yawns and sleeps and it's like that's that's just what cats do that's just who they are that's their personality i can look over my shoulder right now at my bed and I see Levi and Historia just sleeping. They don't fucking care what I'm doing right now. They don't know that I'm chasing a dream. But they're there. Cats and pets are there. And Kuma was there for Brendan. And likewise, Brendan was there for Kuma. Forever your savior, as much as you are mine. And for that, I promise to protect you until the day I die. Whispers of Your Death is one of the most important songs I have ever heard in my life. It is painful to hear for myself while being cathartic in a way. And I think what makes it more chilling is kind of what I've been alluding to with the, the terminology I'm using, like was his cat and things like that. Kuma passed away a, a few days before this record leaked. So that immediately shifted a lot of the lyrical content to having this additional weight to it because the record was made with the potential eulogy for Kuma in mind. Now it is his eulogy because he's not here anymore. I'm going to read this excerpt from Counterpart's Spotify bio. It's from Brendan and it explains a little bit about the background of a eulogy for those still here. I think I deal with things by preparing myself for the end. With so much of this record, I'm mourning the loss of someone that's still alive or saying goodbye to something that hasn't left yet. He was mourning the loss of Kuma while Kuma was still alive. And suddenly, right before the album drops, Kuma is gone. 
And I think what Brandon said right there, I think I deal with things by preparing myself for the end. You guys do not know how much reading a sentence like that means to me and the kinds of emotions that it stirs within me because seeing that in text, it made me realize how much of that notion I follow myself. I focus so much on the end. I think so much about death. I think so much about just the end of everything that I know and love and having what means most to me ripped away from me because for the last two years, that's almost entirely just everything that has happened to me. I have had my heart just ripped out and fucked with and toyed with in so many ways. And that kind of forces me to put things into perspective when it comes to the knowledge that not everything lasts and everything will come to an end. Every life will come to an end. I do think about my death. I do think about the eventual death of my cats. I do think about the eventual death of my parents. I think what's going to happen first? Who is going to go first? How is it going to happen? I preoccupy my mind with all of these really malevolent and not helpful thoughts, but I don't know what the fuck else to do. And for that reason, having a eulogy for those still here, it means more to me than I can ever relay to you guys because of how much it speaks to my fears and my worries about life. Through the pain of Brandon Murphy, I am able to kind of just like see from another perspective the things that I believe and feel and think of in my head. And it's very daunting. It's very shocking to get to hear these songs and think like, is that what goes in my brain? Is that what other people can kind of sense me brooding over and going through? And God, I fucking wish I could explain these other songs to you guys, but I really, really, really do not want to spoil this experience because it is just that a fucking experience. Um, you get this really cool intro type song with 726 2020. Um, the title track is. Um, it, it incorporates these like new elements of counterparts that feel like they're at home. Skin Beneath a Scar is a slower song for counterparts, and it's not like anything I've heard from them before, but it feels right. It feels so in place on this record. I, I think you get the traditional counterparts that you guys are looking for through other songs on here. Sworn to Silence, What Mirrors Might Reflect, like... That is counterparts all the way through. A Mass Grave of Saints was number one for Scenic Overlook, so come December, I will have all of the time that I want to really explain why that song is so powerful. But what I will say now is, I do not see any possible scenario where you guys listen to A Mass Grave of Saints and do not believe that it is one of the most emotionally charged and powerful and effective songs for all of 2022. I believe Brendan called it the best counterpart song ever. He might be right. Genuinely, he really, really, really might have a point there about Mass Grave of Saints being the pinnacle of counterparts because it feels like it is taking everything that they did, not just on a eulogy for those who are here, but on every album prior and encapsulating it into this one cumulative package that explains 
everything about counterparts. It explains who they are instrumentally, it explains what they're going through lyrically, and it explains to me what I am feeling in my own head, and just having a record like this with so much emotion, not just lyrically, but in the instrumentation, melodic hardcore instrumentation is some of the most cathartic shit I've ever experienced, and I get to experience all the time, and and it just um satisfies my brain, and it soothes it, and it's like a... A, a pack of serotonin, a punch of uh, this rush that I need within me to feel and believe in all of the things that I want to. Historia is eating behind me, and I just can't express enough like what an album like this does for my my love for her, my love for my other cats, Levi and Armin and Daisy. The love that I still have for Mikasa, even uh, almost a year and a half- Shut the fuck up, Train! Almost a year and a half later after she has left. The love that I have for just the people who mean something to me. Because a eulogy for those two here is just that. It's a eulogy for those still fucking here. It is my selfish way of getting to take these lyrics and apply them to these people who- they don't know what they mean to me, and they don't know what is going to happen to me when they're gone. This is more than just an album. This is a, a milestone of life itself. This is a, a bookmark for my brain when I need space to get to relish in these dark and brooding and daunting thoughts. And I will never ever be able to thank counterparts of Brenda Murphy enough for being able to deliver this message at a time of just straight fucking agony, dude. <sighs> Maybe I should have waited until next week to review counterparts, but I wasn't going to let this record sit for two weeks without getting to explain in some manner what it means to me. I, I do have the top 50 series in December to explain, and I will get to, because a eulogy for those still here is not just one of the best records of the year, in my opinion. This is probably one of the best records I've ever heard in my life. At the very least, it is one of the most important, and I feel like that is enough for me to get on here and tell all of you guys, not only to listen to this record, but just be prepared. Like, there is so much happening here that if you told me beforehand, like, hey, this is what the album is going to do to you, maybe I would have taken some time. Maybe I would have given myself a little bit of room to prepare, but it's just an experience that I will never, ever let myself forget. I will never be able to forget hearing this album in the dark with all the lights off and Historia sleeping on my chest while I am just suffering in a way, but not in a bad way. In a way that I needed. So that was everything. That was every single and album and EP for me to talk about. Um, I'm drained. Because that's what Counterparts managed to do to me this past week. That's what they're going to do to me for the rest of my life, honestly. Um, I'm going to get to see them December 2nd. I'm very excited for that with Dying Wish, Sea Space Cowboy, and Foreign Hands. That is going to be it fucking massive show guys genuinely cannot wait for it um 
I think that's it for right now. I will talk to you guys again next week. Thank you for listening to this episode. I... Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I already forgot my own fucking outro, guys. Um, I appreciate all of you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.